This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. everybody and welcome to another world of ux podcast this is your host darren hood thank you for joining me on today and as always a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time as said in a recent episode i'm planning to have on some special guests i i think that people need to hear from a lot of these fantastic voices out in the world of not just ux but experience design as a whole i'm starting actually to rebrand myself as an experienced designer, my new title at a job I just started is that of principal product designer. We're about experience design. We like covering everything about the experience, not just your traditional UX. And in the spirit of that, I have one of those special guests that I told you about today, and I'm going to have her introduce herself here in a moment. Uh, but again, those of you tell your friends about about the podcast. Let's get the word out there. Um, and, and help people to understand where they can find good, solid, trustworthy, and reliable content to help build themselves, to build their acumen as professionals, and to build the disciplines, the respective disciplines that they're a part of. This is what knowledge sharing is supposed to be about. So that said, I have with me today uh, one of my peers from the CXFM radio network, Chantel Bolta. Hello, Chantel. Hi, Darren, and thank you for inviting me to come and hang with you today. Absolutely. I love talking. I, I, you know, I, as much as I talk on my episodes, I really prefer talking to other people. <laughs> so thank you for joining me. Uh, and I'm going to have Chantel introduce herself and tell the audience a bit about who she is and what she does. And as one of my other peers, Debbie Levis, like to say a lot of times, uh, tell the people why we want to listen to you, Chantel. Take it away. Oh, wow. Darren. So, yeah, you know, I've been called many things. I've been called many things. I've been called the love doctor for brands. I was once introduced as a at a conference. Uh, The the conference uh, uh, MC wanted to say Chantal is a mathematician by education. She ended up saying Chantal is a magician by education. So I I really (laughs) love that introduction. Uh, because I did study mathematics, but I'm probably a little bit more like a like a like a magician. So I am so grateful that I could, um, you know, start uh, Brand Love uh, 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 what seven eight years ago, and you know we help brands to really find themselves if they've lost themselves and Mm -hmm. we we really are passionate about creating brand warriors um and that's what my podcast is about is taking ordinary people and turning them into brand warriors you know making them believe in themselves and igniting that pride and that passion and you know performance follows when someone's really proud about their craft and when they get to do work that they love doing um you know performance just follows so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Ah, okay, great. So brand love. Okay, folks out there looking for that kind of help. You can always reach out. What's the what's the URL for your site, Chantel, just so people know? 
It is www.brandlove.global. Okay. Okay. So everybody got that. Brandlove.global. And uh, as she mentioned, she is actually just joining the podcasting ranks at CXFM Radio. So tell us a little bit about what you're planning on the podcast before we get into our our, uh, our work-related questions here. What, what kind of stuff should we expect from you? Yeah. So, Darren, I'm I'm super passionate about, you know, building, you know, building people up to be empowered and, and confident and, and kind of believing in themselves again. So I think, you know, sharing some of the tools and the tricks and, you know, some of the tips we, we've, we've worked with thousands and thousands of people over the last six, seven years that have come through our programs. Nice, nice. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes people, you know, they, they just on autopilot and, and just, like lighting that flame again. So we want to feature brand warriors. We want to feature feature people that have, you know, stepped up and done courageous things. We want to we want to feature guests, um, you know, of of people that have just that have just broken the mold and just you know made some bold bold courageous decisions in their in their lives. And and I hope that those stories inspire others to do the same. Yes, yes, yeah, I love that. I, I love the energy. I love when people share their stories. Yeah. It's just it, it's yeah. so I find it to be so empowering. Uh, that's something I tell new UXers a lot. That uh, please share your story. People need to know, and and your story might be your story, uh, but highlighting the your of that story, it's highly likely that there are a lot of things that are happening to you that other people can experience or may experience. And by sharing your story or by sharing a story, it helps other people to be in a better position when they face the same the same challenges yeah, and such. Yeah, so I, I always yeah. love to hear stories. I, I go on YouTube just looking for stories. Sometimes I just want to hear. Uh, I want to read or go on Medium and just read sometimes. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but there's some good stuff too if you if you look for it the right way. And, yeah. and the, I've always found those types of things uh, empowering, encouraging, enlightening. And so, yeah, big thing for me. So glad to hear that. We're going to dive into our formal questions here. I have four of them. Uh, they're relatively basic, I think. Uh, some are probably going to be more immersive than others, uh, but that's okay. Uh, so we're going to start off with the most basic question of the day because uh, for the audience out there, as I mentioned, experience design, rebranding myself, putting more attention on it. I've been practicing UX from a CX perspective since about 2014. Instead of just focusing on the app or the website or things like that, what happens when somebody first comes into contact with a brand? There's a UX or there's an experience. I should say not a UX. I'm still trying to get out of it. <laughs> there's a there's an experience associated with that. What happens as they're onboarding to a brand? What happens not just when they're using the website or when they are when they're using the mobile app? What happens with the experiences that have nothing to do with those particular types of touch points? What happens when somebody goes into the customer service funnel? What happens when they're coming all the way back around? So uh, in, into the um, where they're they're deciding whether or not they're going to renew or things of that nature. So trying to turn people on to all these types of things, which would really is what inspired me to have Chantel on today. So I like Chantel to spend some time helping the audience to understand. Question number one, what exactly is CX? A lot of UXers don't know. And the first time I mentioned to UXers, that they should start being more CX focused well before this podcast, they laughed me out of the park 
and thought that I was wrong for bringing. Yeah, it's crazy. Chantel's laughing. I can see her. You guys can't see it on the podcast, but they laughed at me and they 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 laughed me to scorn. They made a joke out of it, and then at least two of them ended up taking on CX roles. Nobody ever doubled back and said that what I said made sense. But now they have they had well one of them no longer has a CX role, but another one did. But they all laughed at me when it happened. So uh, help folks understand. Some folks are, they're, they're going to pigeonhole themselves by looking at UX a certain way. I think understanding CX will help them. So Chantel, let's enlighten the audience today about CX. Amazing, Darren. So, you know, there's many definitions out there for customer experience. And I think, you know, many of those definitions speak to the kind of the rational, the rational thoughts that go through a customer's mind, the you know the emotions that go through through them as they have an experience, and then the, the the sensory parts of it. You know, what do I see? What do I hear? What do I what do I smell? I love um, you know Lou Carbone's um, quote around you. You cannot not have an experience. So so people yes, are having yes. so many experiences, and and often we think it's about how people feel about a brand, mm-hmm. but it's really about how they feel about themselves when they're in an interaction with a brand. So nice. let me tell you a short story to illustrate yes, this. So, yes, by all means. So my, my daughter was about four years old and she did a project at school and um, they had to draw their mother and she came home with the picture and she showed me, she ran to me very excited and she showed me this picture of, you know, her mother. And um, I, I looked at the picture and I was horrified. I mean, I, I, I was horrified. I had, I had teeth this long. It was yellow and, and there was like saliva, saliva dripping from the teeth. I had... I had a tail and spines on my, oh my spines goodness. on my back. I, I was like hybrid human and and dinosaur, and I was angry. I was angry <laughs> in the picture. So I'm trying. I'm trying to not get my daughter to like notice that I'm actually really. I'm, I'm actually really upset about this picture. So I, I go like, honey, you know, all of the big artists, you know, Van Gogh and Michelangelo, they all had like a muse or an inspiration for their art. Can you share with mommy what what inspired you to do this particular, you know? to portray me in this particular way. She said, mommy, remember that day we were in that store and you took the vacuum cleaner back? She said, you were so angry at that lady. She said, you, when you were shouting at her, you spit on my arm. She said, and I wiped it. I turned the other side and you spit on my other arm. She said, I actually thought you were going to eat that lady alive. And then she goes on to say, she says, Mommy, I love this picture. Can, I, can we frame it? And I'm going on my inside, God, no, we cannot frame this. This is not a picture. Because I remembered that day I was in the store. And, you know, I became a person that I really don't want to become. And you know what, Darren? I've never yeah. been back to that store because I'm too ashamed. I'm, I'm ashamed that. I lost my shit completely in the store and I know this girl was just working there but I was trying to say to her, she said the vacuum cleaner needs to be sent away and it's going to take up to eight weeks and I said to her, I've got three children and three Jack Russells, you do not understand, I cannot live without a vacuum cleaner. So obviously I left the store telling her where to put the vacuum cleaner and I hope she didn't put Uh it there because it would have hurt like really badly. (laughs) 
I just left the I just left the vacuum cleaner there. I never went to fetch it. I never I just went to another store and I actually replaced the vacuum cleaner. But the the point of my story is is it's it's how we feel about themselves. And I felt terrible in that store and I'll never buy from the store again, not because their products aren't good, but because the person I became into, I, I, I don't want to be reminded of that. So, you know, that for me is, is experience. And, you know, if I ever got a survey from that store, I would not truthfully answer that survey, not on my life. Right. Because, you know, do I really want to, will they ever hear the internal narrative that went on that day about, you know, my daughter witnessing how I lost my cool, about me feeling like I, I'm not a good, it's not like I'm th this domestic goddess, I'm barely keeping it, you know, together at home. And it, and it re reminded me just of, you know, the, all the places that I fail. And that's what customer experience is about, is like the feelings you have when you don't feel like you're in control and the memories we have after. And I've told this story many times and every time I tell it, I'm as embarrassed as the day like it <laughs> happened. <you know? laughs> that's a marvelous story. And, and I love the concept of thinking about experience from the way that people feel. I, I hear people talking about things like delight. In my mind, and love to hear what you think about this too, I think that's narrow. If why why think about how much a person delight uh, uh, is delighting in a thing? Uh, we talk about things like net promoter score sometimes, even even on the UX side of the house. And as you know, would you recommend us? That's a bit that's a bit narrow. Um, yeah, you know, narrow. What else? What where where are the other layers? With this, I took a survey yeah. the other day for a brand that I didn't like, uh, sort of my vacuum cleaner experience. I didn't like what they did, and they uh, actually gave them a, a UX fail award for this because they asked me four extremely surface-oriented questions. They gave them absolutely no indication of what my mental models were. And at the end of the survey, it said, thank you for completing the survey. This is going to help us help us deliver a better experience for our customers. I'm going, I didn't tell you anything. I, I, and, but no, doing what I do, I realized that the questions they did present actually helped them to go back and tell people how great they are, no matter what my responses were. So it, it's amazing when you look at how did you really make somebody feel? That means you've got to delve into the depths and, and ask questions that you may not like the answers to. Because if you made Chantel feel this badly about this vacuum cleaner, don't you want to know what happened with that? Don't you want to go and massage that, that, the different touch points along that experience? Because if you don't, uh, I actually do a talk called, I don't know if you heard me, about me doing this, and I think I'm going to deliver it this fall at the CX of M conference about the education, uh, or I'm sorry, not the education, but the experience landscape that we have to master the experience landscape. And I have an equation that CX plus UX equals BX. And that's right up your alley. I know it's like the brand experience is going to be an automatic result from what you put into your CX and your, and your UX initiatives. And if there's a fail at any point, that's going to translate into what the BX is, no matter what you do or don't do. So I think if you're just looking at delight and, and, and things of that nature and not broaden it, to look, how did you really make people feel and, 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 yeah. and, and layer it 
because you're going to find the micro experiences and the micro interactions that are going to help you at that micro level is going to help you discover what you need to discover to truly build the brand that everybody's going to be proud of customer and, and, and stakeholder alike. So, yeah. 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 You know what, Darren, I think, you know, if, if we look at, I think people are just fatigued, um, with being asked questions and, and the questions, I mean, the questions themselves are not client centric questions. It's like, you know, did you like my product? How much did you like my product? Was there anything wrong with my product? They, they really ask about me, you know? Um, and, and I, and I think so few companies, if I look at, you know, the, the, the clients we've worked with, so few of them actually use the data that clients give them. Yes. I mean, I mean, and then they say to me, we have a data problem. We need to do more research. I go, no, you don't need to do more research. You actually <laughs> need to use, you need to use what you've got. What you you've do got. not have a, you do not have a data problem. Okay. You do not need more research. You need to ask different questions and you need to, to focus on the relationship with your with your customer. Um, so, yes. I mean, I think a lot of brands just suffer from just total self-centeredness when it comes to asking questions and so few of them actually use it. And back to my point, very few of them hear the real story. Very mm-hmm. few of them hear the real yeah. story. We do a lot of co-design sessions with customers where we, you know, get them get them in. We used to we used to play a lot of Lego with um with with customers of our of our clients' brands. And I remember we were working for a uh, for a medical insurance company, and we had I think eight eight clients around a table. They were all building building Lego, and we said, you know, what are you what are the biggest challenges in your life? And they were building this little Lego model and then they would label it with post-it notes and everybody would get a chance to give feedback. And and this one young man, you know, when we got to his model, I because we've done this with, you know, thousands of people, I looked at the model and I knew something something profound was going to come out of this model. And, and he shared his challenge. He says, like, really just getting through every day and st- staying alive. And, and, you know, when I played this back to the executives, they go, so he he has a, a mental health challenge and they don't want to pay his medicine from, you know, the various uh, structures of, of, of claims. And, you know, he's really fighting to stay, you know, mentally healthy so that he, he doesn't give up on life. And, wow. you know, it, it was like really profound. I remember that particular video clip of that co-design session, I, I played it many times for the executives. And I said, yes, you think, you know, they didn't get their welcome pack. They didn't read their welcome documents. This is the real challenges that they're experiencing. You know, they're literally fighting to 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 stay alive. And, you know, that kind of took this brand into realizing that they need to be so much more empathetic. You would think that it's common sense. You have health insurance, you should be empathetic, but they're so transactional about about the engagement. Um, And only when you bring the voice of the customer that visually and that loudly into the room do executives actually start paying attention? I, I believe there's only two things that'll shift people and that's either pain or pleasure. So if you feel enough pain, you're going to do something about it. If yes. you feel enough pleasure, you're going to do something about it. So, you know, I, I can tell you 
most of my clients absolutely love me and what you know what what my company does but sometimes I make it very uncomfortable for them you know I'm like the friend who tells you you've got spinach in your teeth or your flies <laughs> open you <laughs> it's like <laughs> and it's so like valuable <laughs> If you want the real story, I'll tell you. I'll tell you and then I'll help you and then I'll empower you to fix it yourself. Yes. You know, that's that's what creates scalable experience design is if people are empowered and they feel confident. Um, you know, my, my team often they go, Chantal, but we sell common sense. How can we charge so much? I go, because common sense is so scarce, people. Like- <laughs> I frequently say that common sense is, is not common. <laughs> it's not common, it's absolutely. Not common. <laughs> and and what you I'm just hearing you talk about that, it reminds me too. Uh one of the issues we have on the CX side of things is that uh a lot of people have no idea what UX really is. They have absolutely yeah. no idea. It's and, wireframes, Darren. What do you mean? Yeah, it's it, wireframes, it, man. <laughs> sometimes I'd almost settle for that <laughs> at times because people have reduced it to UI. Yeah, And to the point you always hear UI slash UX or US slash UX, whatever one they put first, but that's not it. Uh, and, and UI is actually a subset of UX, but UX is, I, I always explain it as there's four major pillars, usability and heuristics, information architecture, there's the research pillar, and then there's the interaction and interface design pillar, and the UI and, 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 and ID, they're actually together. Interaction design are together because you can't, have an interface without interacting with it. So so if there's an interface that people can't interact with and you've got to waste it, I mean, everybody's wasted their time. So, yeah. but all of these things go together and just the whole, all, everything that you're talking about, I keep hearing the experience that's in it and, and, and how we need to be attentive to it and, and understand what we need to do to make that work for everyone. And that's not just a UI. It is it, it's and, and and UX is suffering. I, I've heard that CX is suffering as well to a great extent. I'm, I want to have Nick on the show uh, soon too. Nick Nick, Nick Glimsdahl. I'd like to have him on to talk about things going on in CX as well, because there's a lot of there's a difference between CX and UX. And in my experience, landscape talk, I talk about how the UX is actually a subset of of CX. CX is much bigger than UX, but they're going through some of the same things and trying to convince people of the necessity and the value and things of that nature. And people are dumbing it down and trying to make people think that anybody can do it. Like, no, no, it, it, it's a science and, and it requires a scientist to to get things done the right way. And it actually costs that, that some people think it costs a lot to do it. It actually costs more to not do it. Yeah. Absolutely, and and I think I mean Darren. I I get challenged. I get challenged a lot to say like you know my team. You know we are we work across industries. We, you know we run these uh, customer journey design sprints for for our clients, and and we have you know a great a great track record. And I say that with a lot of humility and just incredible gratitude. The the reason why we can kind of differentiate brands is because we've got so many hours of experience in connecting the dots, you know, and I, and I think that's my, um, that's my real advice. The reason why I think 
customer journey design and experience design in in a lot of brands fail is because people do it at a very superficial level. Yes. They, they also they also they also see it as an academic exercise. You know, they they get yeah. very academic about it, and you know, they get very um, uh, sophisticated around the models. And you know, we should have twelve personas, and we should map the experience for these twelve personas. And I go, no, no, no. Be you know, simplify, simplify it. Focus on the emotions, you know, set your target on what is the emotions you want to evoke and then design those emotions into your experience and to your uh, earlier point about delight. You cannot, if you look at a journey and you look at the different moments in that journey, you cannot delight in every moment, you know, it's expensive and it's really, really hard for your people to keep on delighting in every moment. You've got to choose which are the moments where you want to imprint a memory. Yes. And those are the moments you focus on. And and like every relationship, you know, I, I often, I often uh, you know, look at my husband. I Sometimes I get these... Um, I get these really funny messages on LinkedIn um, about, you know, moving to Arabia and there's a suitor in Arabia, which, you know, they invite me to come and live in a palace and they're going to give me an amazing life. And when I get one of those messages, I I actually print it out and I leave it on my husband's desk with a note (laughs) saying... It's time. It's time to renegotiate some SLAs here because, you know, the demand for my for my beauty and my grace has just in- increased, you know. And it's and it's like a relationship. It's never I mean the a relationship isn't always the same. I mean there yeah. isn't I can tell you in my relationship and I've got a wonderful marriage, but I tell you it's not all just delight. <laughs> you know, right. there's some moments right. of misery, you know, where where we've got to reassess things and we've got to re- align things and I think with experiences it's the same it's about the peaks I mean Daniel Kahneman so eloquently talks about the peak end rule and it's about choosing those moments that's really important in the life of the client and then you know putting some surprise into those into those moments Um, and you know I, I believe there's also experience design we call it real-time design but it's really Darren on the fly where you where yeah. you can teach someone the skill to say what's the expectations in this moment set my target what's the emotion I want to create Love that. and you teach you teach a, a frontline you know service professional how to do real-time design and they can on the fly change someone's state by just using you know the skills the skills we teach and I, I believe that's how you make experiences scalable you know if you teach people and yes it's a skill and yes you need to practice it it's like you know I, I I often joke about you know having my having my gym bag and my gym clothes in my in my car um but actually I can say it's there but I actually never go to gym you know, so so it's like, you know, it, it, I can say, you know, I've, I've been on a journey design workshop, you know, I, I can say I'm a certified customer experience professional, but unless I practice these things every day and I live it every day. And that's why I think a lot of companies, they have experience design and CX as a project. You know, we're running a yeah. multi-year program. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a multi-year program. It should be like in Boom. your bones. It should run in your <laughs> DNA of your organization. Yes. 
Yes. And everybody should be measured, not on NPS, but they should be measured on a broad spectrum of metrics that tells you whether you are really focusing on the customer and whether you are a purpose and values-led organization. That is fantastic, too. And you, I, I actually had another thought. Forget that. You just sparked something else for me, too. Let me have Great. you elabor- elaborate on NPS, pluses, minuses, thumbs up, thumbs down. What are your thoughts on NPS? Because I know that that's something that pops up in CX and UX circles. So what, what, do, you, what Listen, do you think? Listen, I, I, love, I <laughs> love Fred. I love Fred. I love Fred. But I've got a – I mean, I, I've got uh, – so – I don't, NPS used in isolation is very, very dangerous. And, and you know, I've had leaders that I coach come to me and say, oh, Chantal, you've got to help me. We've got to up our game. You know, my personal KPI is the, like the NPS of the organization. And I just go WTF. Why? Why? You know, how, how much, like, how empowered are you? What does your budget look like? You know, how much teeth have you got? What What's your authority level in the organization? And they have no authority, no influence and no budget and they meant they measured on NPS. And I go like, okay, listen, you, you are, you are so set up for failure. It's, so I think it's, it's very misused in many environments. And I think mm-hmm. the original intent, the original intent when, you know, when Fred tells the stories about Harley Davidson and, you know, people measuring how many people have Harley Davidson tattoos on their, on their bodies and, you know, how NPS is similar to that. I mean, I think the intent is amazing, but often it's misused. And when it's in people's KPIs and they have no control over it, you know, that's just that's just a dangerous way to to measure people because they'll find ways around it. The other thing, I've recently done this with a with a customer. So instead of looking just at, you know, detractors and and and, and promoters, and I said to them, give me a breakdown of how many clients do you have in each of the bands, like zero to ten, and. You know, we looked at the terrorists. We call them the zeros and the ones. We call them the terrorists because they'll they'll actually, you know, they'll actively they'll actively go out to destroy your brand. Okay, and Ooh. I said to them, give me wow. the the zeros and the ones. Okay, show me show me the number of people that are terrorists. Otherwise, they just look like a bunch of detractors. All right, Ooh. and what happened is like my zeros and ones they were much much higher than the twos, threes, and fours. All Ooh. right, and then I said, okay, give me their value. Give me their lifetime. Value value and we put a monetary amount and and i mean i've been building business cases like this for the last 12 years it's because building business cases for cx initiatives are they it is challenging you know it's it's it it requires a little bit of science magic and you know then just hoping and praying but (laughs) but once we looked once we showed the executives the lifetime value of the clients that are zeros and ones that are actively they will do anything to destroy the brand. You know, then you have people sit upright and then they ask me, Chantal, can you make it go away? And I go, no, that's not a reasonable request. Can you make it go away? Because there's a set of commitments that you need to, that you need to commit to in order to make this go away, you know? 
Awesome. I can show you how to make it go away, but you're going to do the effort. And your team, we will train them, we will mentor them, we will guide them, we will take their hands, we will sherpa them up this mountain, but you need to do the work. It's your village, it's your brand. We will help you create brand warriors that will stand on the front lines and defend your brand in bad times and celebrate your brand in good times, but you need to do the work. That's phenomenal. That's for that, and that's so practical, too. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And we've been running on for a bit here, so I think we're going to start coming in for a landing. We actually end up touching on some of my other questions as we were talking, so I didn't have to go into the formal. Amazing, route, so amazing! You. As you can see, we both chatterboxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is this is fantastic. I'm trying to look over my list here and make a decision as to what the closing question is going to be. Because uh, I had a couple comments here, but I can talk about my comments. Um, I don't, I don't have to use your time for this. The last question, and I think this is something some people are going to be curious about, um, strategies for achieving stakeholder buy-in for CX. I think you've talked about this a little bit already, but maybe there's a story that comes to mind. But I know some people, we have challenges on the UX side of the house, um, and I've heard stories about challenges on the CX side of the house. And I've worked with a CX person side by side. And we talk about some of these challenges, but in your mind and from what you've seen, what, 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 is, what are a, a strategy or two that you would say are, that help in uh, achieving stakeholder buy-in for your engagement? I love this question. I, lo- I cannot tell you how much I love this question. <laughs> so, so I work, a lot of my clients would, you know, you know, we do stakeholder mapping and we kind of look at, okay, who's in the ecosystem? Who needs to be on this bus with you? And, and, and a lot of my clients would come to me and say, Chantal, I've got this one problematic stakeholder, like, and then they'd whisper, they're a real asshole. I go, really? Tell me, tell me about the asshole. And, you know, often, you know, people, they, they look at someone in a, in a very kind of one dimensional way. So my, my advice is empathy mapping, you know, for the main stakeholders that you need on this journey with you. I mean, you get amazing stakeholder prioritization models and matrices. I love empathy mapping because if you can determine what someone fears, what 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 do they lie awake at night? And if you can determine what their hopes are and how they look at achieving success in their own life, and you can mitigate their fears and make them more successful, they will support you in whatever you do and wherever you go. And sometimes it's just so easy to label someone, oh, they are such an obstructive asshole. I cannot believe they are undermining my efforts. (laughs) And I go, okay, let us do some stakeholder. And sometimes I say to them, build them in Lego, build them, build the asshole so I can see, you know, what they they look like. And, And they start telling me stories and we do empathy mapping. And after the empathy mapping, they sit there and they look, they look at the empathy map and they go, oh, I, I had no idea. I had no yep. idea. Yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, 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 you know, a lot of my clients, I, I, I look at, and, and obviously now, nowadays we do all of this stuff collaboratively on, online on, you know, Miro or Mural or Concept Board. And, you know, I sometimes look at how they've done their stakeholder mapping and there's an empathy map for every, every important role player that they need to engage. And once they've done that, it empowers them to have 
the right communication strategies for having the the right contact time with these stakeholders and I really think it's it's such a it's such a simple it's such a simple tool and it's so incredibly yes, powerful. Yes, you yes. know, we've taken initiatives that were that were on the verge of being stopped, that were labeled total failures. We put a pause on it, we did stakeholder mapping, we pulled it right, we we changed the approach, we started engaging in the right way, we started putting energy into the right relationships and mm-hmm. realized that there was nothing wrong with the initiative. I mean, it was doing all the right stuff. It was the stakeholder engagement that wasn't done in, in the in the right way. Yes. And you know, most leaders, um, you know, they just want to feel like they're doing, they're doing a good job, and that they and they and, and that they're successful. And we we all fear, you know, someone saying, "Well, you should have known better. You 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 not you're not the right person for the job." And if if we look at those are universal things, and we've we've heard thousands of people say these things. So again, this is not rocket science. It's about getting right. really right. human about your stakeholders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the word that I was just holding on to because uh, you made me think about a situation where someone invited me when I worked for Bosch. Someone wanted me to come and help them so when I was doing my UX from a CX perspective to help them overhaul their CX, their their customer service operation for one of our brands. And they said, come on into town, Darren, work with my team. I heard you're doing some great things come on and let's get together. I think you could help us do X, Y, and Z. And I said, okay, yeah, I agree with you that I can help. However, I think that thinking about what you just mentioned, Chantel, humanizing the situation the first time is I'm build. I know that relationship building is critical to a successful experience design practice. You cannot be successful if you, as you mentioned, just make everything academic, it's all about checkboxes and wireframes and mapping and things of this nature. What, what, what are we actually accomplishing here? And and who's what's at stake and who's involved and how do they feel about things and what are their passions? What are their fears? What are their goals? We need to we need to humanize everything. And if you're a, a good human being, <laughs> when you humanize things, it will trigger certain reactions that will cause you to do things that, that pan out for the best for everybody involved. So I told the guy, I said, Hey, uh, I agree with you. Yeah, I can help. How about we have a meeting first? Let's let's, let me meet everybody. I'm not going to just fly into Minnesota, drive in an hour from St. Paul from the airport, come in, fly in, open up the, my shirt, see the big S on my chest, fix your problems and fly back out. That's not going to work. Uh, even if everything that I have to present is doable and practical and accurate, it's not going to work because I need the support of your team. So let's let's have a meet and greet. So we had a meet and greet, and it was interesting. I met the first person, and he was like, oh, uh, okay, I'm so-and-so, and this is what I do. Glad to meet you. The next person introduced himself. The next person introduced himself. They get, we get to the last person. Instead of introducing themselves, they just lit into me. I don't know why you're here. Forget the introduction. I don't know why you're here. I don't know why we need your help. We've always done it this way. It, it just The person just ripped into me. And everybody was shocked. And I was as cool as a cucumber. And I know that probably shocked that person because they probably figured they were scaring me away. And I said, thank you. And the person's jaw dropped. 
I said, I thank you for your candor. I thank you for your passion. I really admire that. I really love it. Um, I said, promise me that you will never lose that passion and that you will never lose that candor because I firmly believe that when I come to town and you see the value that I bring to your team and how easy I make things for your team and how everything will be improved for your team, I think I want you to have that same passion and that same candor because I think you're going to become my biggest advocate. Okay, okay. I come, to, <laughs> I come to town. We have the, we meet for three days or so. I leave town. Let them okay. I'm going to get back with you to you with my recommendations. We had these working sessions, gathering all this information, and I redo their email, their customer service emails. I shorten the number of emails. I shorten the length of the emails. I add uh, related links, calls to action within emails to add value within the emails. I cause people, I shorten the emails to the point where people can see it in one window. It's no longer this long window full of gobbledygook. Uh, we we were able to touch on the systems that people were using to take the calls and do all the supportive work. When all was said and done, that person became my biggest advocate. They were floored by everything that was done because I humanized the situation. It wasn't about the things that we do as UX professionals. It was about the engagement and the cognitive navigation or what I like to refer to as emotional, you could call it emotional mind stoning, uh, um, but it's really just about building that, it, what I call it emotional momentum. It's I almost forgot what it was, but emotional momentum that it's, we need to build up to even bringing delight in this situation, but delight based on mental models, looking at the mental models of the customers they're serving. And then these people are my customers. And I think a lot of experienced designers forget that the people that we're serving are our customers, that we need to tend to them and not just the people that everybody claims to be trying to reach. And when we do that, I found everything to be a lot more successful and you get more buy-in and got to the point where engineers would not do work with me without me, I should say. If, if Darren wasn't at the meeting, they would stop and say, where's Darren? Darren wasn't invited. Stop everything. Where's Darren? And then yeah. I would call in and I would, yeah. they, they, they got to the point. I earned a seat at the table with the engineers because of that approach of humanizing everything uh, all the way down to the point yeah. of bringing donuts. I don't care what it is. And I'm not talking about cheap donuts either. I'm talking about cookies and cream. <laughs> I'm talking cookies and cream donuts here. I'm talking chicken and waffle donuts. <laughs> you know, oh, so that sounds just, fabulous. <laughs> humanizing everything it, it, it's so valuable and, and that's why i'm a big advocate for emotional intelligence and experience design yeah. practice you can't get anything done without yeah. it and you, i mean you said something important about earning a seat at the table and i think if you go in with that approach to say listen there's a couple of things i'm going to do i'm going to be strategic about earning my seat at the table instead yes. of demanding with yes. a really arrogant <laughs> attitude you know that Hey, I've been I've been given I love I've been given the mandate. I mean when someone says to me like I've been given the mandate, I'm going, Oh my word. That's that's like there's a there's a lot of self doubt there. Like Yeah. Yeah. So but but I think I, I, I think I think you you know, you, you you're spot on with you know, just really looking at the world from someone else's perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and it also reminds me too how this is experience design is a selfless discipline the more selfless yeah. you are the more you can get done because it's never about you anyway you're the person that's been brought in in hopes of driving value to solve some type to meet some type of a need and solve some type of an issue 
Yeah. From the time that we're called in, it's never about us. So it can't be about us when it's being addressed. Yeah. I I firmly (laughs) believe, you know, if you've got a, if you've got customer experience and employee experience issues, those are symptoms of, of deeper underlying problems. You know, it's the symptom. It's not the problem. That's the symptom of, you know, some of the underlying problems. Absolutely. I, I have, we're going to start to bring this to a close, but Chantel, I have, we got to do this again. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think people need to hear these things, need to understand some of the dynamics associated with experience design and how it is. It's not what a lot of people are making it out to be. You can learn UX yeah. in six months. No, you can't. And you never could and you never will. Uh, I've been learning for 26 years and I will never stop. So yeah. six months versus 26 years. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, it, th- there's a lot, and I think a lot of what we talked about today are the intricacies that people need to be aware of. If you really want to grow and you really want to excel at this, you got to have your head on a swivel. You got to have that radar out to pick up on anything, any information that will help you to be better at what you do and driving your discipline. Cause it's never just about the work. It's always about the discipline as well. Yeah. UX, CX, yeah. experience design, whatever it may be. So. I want to I want to thank you for joining me today and and helping people to to put this on people's radar. Uh, people need to think about this. I love the insights, uh, and uh, I look forward to to doing this again. And good luck, wishing you all the best on the launch of your podcast uh, as well. And we'll be sharing those out. I'm actually about to put. The, I, I'm known for doing book lists and such. I'm about to do a podcast list too. So I will be pointing people to your podcast as well, so we can build that listenership up as we get going. So. Amazing. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. I loved just telling stories with you, laughing with you, and absolutely we'll do this again. Yes, yes, yes. So that's it, folks, for today. Time to sign off. This is your host, Darren Hood of the World of UX. Happy UXing and CXing, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.